Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Recovery Talk, a podcast from the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence. I'm your host, Shannon Roberts. Each month, we will be talking with an expert in the field, discussing substance use challenges, resources to assist individuals with a substance use challenge and or their families, and best practices for the delivery of peer recovery support services. This month, Chris Kelly, who leads our RCO capacity building team here at the PRCOE, hosts a conversation with Durga Leela, founder of Yoga of Recovery. In this episode, you'll get to hear about Durga's recovery journey, embracing Ayurveda, and how one of the oldest traditional systems of medicine helps her live a life of abundance. And without further ado, let's get talking. All right, listeners, I'm here with Chris Kelly, one of our team members from the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence, and Durga of Yoga of Recovery. We're here to have a conversation about Durga's work in the field of recovery and Ayurveda medicine. Chris, I'll hand it over to you. Thanks, Shannon. Hi, Durga. Hi, Shannon. Hi. Um, super excited to have Durga Leela here today. I Durga and I met, I think it was in about 2015, when I came across her work because yoga was a major part of my personal recovery pathway. And I believe I heard you on a, a podcast or an interview and was moved when you talked about life is sweet. And um, that whole conversation just really resonated with me. And that's where I had reached out to you and just wanted to learn more about the work you're doing. And now Nine years later, here we are, um, just coming home from a wonderful retreat at the ashram in the Bahamas, the Shivananda Ashram, um, the second one I've attended with you, and super excited to talk more about how you came into this work, what it currently looks like, and how we think it can be helpful for the field, the peer recovery support field. So Durga, how did you come into all this work? How did I come into this? Um, firstly, hi, Shannon and Chris. Good to see you again. I came into it from my own recovery pathway. I have a um, foundational recovery pathway, which is 12 steps. I did not go to rehab. Um, and when I was in my initial recovery, I was kind of struggling with not not craving or relapsing, just trying to get back on my feet to kind of get out and live my life and, you know, get back to having a job and being able to reestablish. Uh, and so there was there was so many things going on. Like I was pretty bad at relationships. It was easier to isolate. I was, I was kind of doing okay, doing my meetings and having a sponsor and eventually getting a therapist, a, a means-tested therapist. And that was going all right. Um, but eventually the therapist suggested that I needed to see a psychiatrist and they diagnosed me with clinical depression. And so they wanted me to um, get onto an antidepressant which would have been fine. But for me, one of the things I was struggling with is uh, by this time I'm 18 months sober um, and I'd given up my um, weed habit. And um, the the thing that was holding me back quite a bit was that I still smoke cigarettes, right? And I'm a person with asthma. So I kind of felt that that was depressing, right? I mean, I knew it myself. I would actually take uh, 
a blast on my inhaler and then light up a cigarette. And so like, given that I had this life that was emerging into like sobriety, and that was pretty amazing to be sober and trying to piece my life together, but with this kind of deadly habit still going on. Um, so my thing was, I said, best that I got off cigarettes before I decide whether I, I need, you know, the the support, the pharmaceutical support for my mood. Um, so that took me back to yoga, which was something that I'd done when I had a corporate job back in London that I got fired from. And I had done a geographic and moved to um, America after my mother died of alcoholism. So, you, you know, I had all those things that I was dealing with and it was the first two years. And those first two years of recovery are pretty tough, right? I'd say the first five years of recovery are they're pretty amazing and they're pretty tough. Like there there's just feels that there's a lot of catching up to do. But one of the things that I was really trying to catch up with is trying to get to live one day well, right? It wasn't like I was really diseased or anything, but like that that feeling of depression and the feeling of like my energy not being very good and I wasn't really always able to sleep at night. Um, my digestion was kind of terrible. And really there was no surprise to that, right? Because I had drank alcoholically and smoked and done drugs for, what, 20 years or something. And so my whole metabolic system was in disrepair, but no one was really helping me with that. And this idea that an anti antidepressant would help me. I could see that it could help me, but I also could see that there was something like more fundamental that I needed to change. And then um, actually my yoga teacher that was in a little rec center just said, hey, there's a talk going on in town and why don't you go to it? And so I did. And this woman was talking about Ayurveda and that's the medical side of yoga. So there's a whole medical system that's related to yoga like in, in India you can go and you can go to a full hospital where all the doctors are trained in Ayurveda. So the first time I heard it, they were talking about how each person has a unique constitution. And if you know that, you're kind of in touch with the idea of your constitution and it's based in elements, which is based in qualities. Like some people are light, some people are heavy, some people are hotter, some people are colder, both mind and body. Um, and I really resonated with that. I could see myself and I think I'd been looking for myself for a long time. And I know that uh, one of the most important things about recovery is that it's person centered. There's no one one size fits all, and even really the definition of what addiction looks like often. Right. So the constitution aspect really helped me. And then the next time I heard it was I'd gone into an ashram, which is a place that, you know, it's a residential place, a community where they have a spiritual intention. And it's, you know, the study of yoga and practice of yoga and meditation. And I had gone there as my smoking rehab, right? So I needed to not be at my own place amongst all my normal activities to get off cigarettes. So I'd gone there for a beginner's week of yoga because they don't let you smoke there. And, um, you know, I am glad to say that that was back in 2001. So last month in April, I had 22 years off of cigarettes. And I knew that some of those yoga practices would help me, but also just that kind of discipline of you can't light up here. And so once I go somewhere, I'm probably not going to run out the door. 
just to like so I could have a cigarette. So I got through it. Um, so there was the two things. And when I was there, I returned there um, like a few weeks later, specifically to hear someone talking about Ayurveda again. And then he talked about the cause of disease. And the cause of disease really was the moment where I shifted into knowing that this is what I really needed to do. Because for me to be able to like get back into the swing of things and life itself, there was this need to understand what life was. And Ayurveda is the science of life. Um, so the life that I was living up up until then had always been in like a major reaction to all the circumstances and situations that I was finding myself in. And when that had all calmed down, I needed to find myself and then from that, find out what I wanted to do. And I would say it really arrived as a, like a package. I wanted to do this for me and I really wanted to help people in recovery with it because I could see sitting in my recovery meetings that people were getting off of a substance, like maybe maybe getting abstinence, maybe struggling with abstinence, but there was a lot of other bad habits still sitting there that are kind of deadly, right? Um, and also really um, destabilizing for the initial and primary recovery path too. Um, and I didn't see, and, and I always say this, I didn't see that the diet and exercise dogma that's talked about in like the magazines and the media it had never helped me and it still wasn't helping me. Like every time I attempted one of their exercise plans or their diet plans, I was just like two days in and I was off it and, you know, sinning against the, the list that I was supposed to live by. So this science of life just made me understand me in a connected way, me in nature, me in like a natural life. So that's how I got into it. Like I am now in, um, I think I'm maybe 23, 24 years in recovery. Since 1999, I'm in recovery. Um, it makes it a tough one to calculate. But um, uh, I don't know how I would have got through it without this baseline. And I'm going to say of embodiment, like knowing what to do with myself when I wake up in the morning based on how I'm feeling, um, you know, whether it's my energy or digestion or just like pains and aches and things. So I've got a system of medicine that covers all bases and it's known as the science of self-healing. So it's a way that I could stay kind of robust and also create definitely with the yoga. Yoga and Ayurveda share the idea of the psychology. So dealing with the mind and emotions. And um, that really kind of helped me be resilient because, you know, when you come from the families and the communities we come from, you can tell a story and it, it sounds very depressing, right? But there was also a big part for me that once I stopped using drugs and alcohol, like something within me was released, right? Um, I could see that I have a tendency towards depression. And, you know, I'd go as far as to say when I, you know, load my system with alcohol and drugs, I had, uh, you know, a tendency towards suicide, right? That's how, that's how bad it got. But without the drugs and alcohol, I, I didn't have that mindset as much. 
anymore that there was a there was this real and I'm going to use the word that I I really feel it was like there was this sense of emergence into something much more positive and that needed to be supported but and not pathologized right so that's what I think recovery is about it's about recapturing that that initial and essential sense of self and supporting it to be like healthy and happy and in service to this this word I the yoga uses which is dharma which is like our giving of our gift in life and I think there's no place that you see such enthusiasm and passion where people who are in recovery want to help other people in recovery and I think it's about time we gave them the embodiment skills and beyond, you know, you have a disease and here's the cure. It's like we are people, we're living a life and here's the navigation um, chart to kind of live that well, depending where you are, how old you are, what stage of the recovery you're in, you know, what season you're in. Like, how do you stay cool in summer and how do you heat up in winter, right? There's things like that that we people of the planet know how to do. And I think it's really time to remember that. So there we go. That's what formed yoga of recovery. I think one day I should get that down into an elevator speech. I've I've not done that yet in 20 years. (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) No, I love it. It it always resonates with me in that sense of... um, you know, there's sometimes some formal processes for people, meaning if they attend a, a treatment facility or, you know, connect with a therapist or some way they might formally kind of break with that problematic use. Mm-hmm. Um, and then often what we at the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence t- talk about is, and then what? And that's where... Um, your work has resonated with me so much for that. And then what both as an individual in with my lived experience in recovery, and as a um, are there things I can do when I'm offering support to others in my community, where maybe they're either trying to, again, establish or initiate their own recovery process, or a lot of people we get three, five, seven years in, and we kind of feel stuck. Mm-hmm. Like, what initially was really helpful, it maybe isn't enough, or your needs have changed. Like you said, you're in a different season of life. Um, I was fortunate enough to... Um, experience, I'll say, both your between the mat and the meeting, and then um, healing the habits that bind. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could just kind of tell our audience a little bit about those two offerings you have, and then certainly anything else, the retreats and the, the ways you keep this community engaged that the yoga of recovery community. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And I'm so glad you were part of that. And and I do want to say any peer recovery support coach specialist out there, like be in touch with me directly um, because it would see if your actual recovery community organization can make it part of your care package, right? Part of your recovery coaching because continued education and support is so crucial. And like for me, a, a, a big thing was 
coming into, and I'm going to say America, and like finding the medical community to be, like I didn't have health insurance, so it was expensive. And I found their medicine was real acute care focused, whereas a lot of my stuff was just this chronic niggly stuff, right? It was like, why do I have headaches every week? Why can't I sleep at night? Why am I tired all day? Why am I constantly constipated, right? Things like that. Um, I had asthma too, right? Um, I had probably had uh, like long-term thyroid issues that might have been the fact that, you know, I'd smoked from 13 years old and stuff like that. So all of those things, and it really was like, like how can I, can I reclaim like vitality, health kind of thing without really like subjecting myself to a whole load of pharmaceuticals or surgery, which is seems to be the main two things that are offered every time I step into the medical offices. And those those are brilliant when you need them. But I was in my early 30s and I thought there was energy enough for me to change my lifestyle because I was understanding that a lot of this was chronic lifestyle disease, which the term addiction to be. Um, so I knew I was in that repair mode. So the between the mat and the meeting is exactly that. In early recovery, that's what rescued me. I had a meeting and, you know, there's multiple pathways of recovery and all of them are to be celebrated. And any of us that are sitting in any of those rooms, that's a fantastic start and like a continuation through through the years to like share what we learn in those uh, meetings and just be there as other people show up and need help. That's a big thing, like ending the isolation for all of us in these things where we're kind of puzzled, what is wrong with this? Like, And that feeling of there's something terrible wrong with us, but really once it's shared, it's not so terrible. You realize you're not alone in it. Um, so the other thing was, is that I, I also had a meeting with a therapist and I had a practice, like I was getting back to yoga class. So one of the things is my, my the, the piece of work that I do is called Yoga of Recovery. So those people that already have a, you know, a reaction to that because yoga has this media image that is nothing like me and most of the people within the yoga recovery circle. So like we're we're not the the tight pants and the pretzel positions and things. Like we're people that are doing a good back stretch and you know, if you see me doing a sitting forward bend, you might not notice that that's what I'm actually doing. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels good, right? So nobody's taking pictures of me in my yoga poses or my yoga pants. Um, so like tr try and get over that. And I think a lot of people have. I think yoga has become more accessible. But then there's this piece, and I keep saying it, the embodied part, which is Ayurveda is the part that is the medical science. So it's a promotive health care. So it identifies who we are, person-centered, it identifies how we move towards imbalance. And different people do it different ways. Different things aggravate different constitutional types. So you've got people that get more anxious about things. And then they have a whole cascade of like things that they turn to. Mama's little helpers, we call them, right? And life is sweet. Things that they turn to to kind of self-soothe their stress but it might be creating a deeper imbalance in their body in the medium to long term. So the short term is different from the medium to long term. 
So once we begin to understand who we are and the types of reactions and stress signature that we have, then we begin to like base our choices on something that is foundational to this medicine system and very, very sensible. And um, they say like increases like. So if you're a hot person, like you tend to run hot and you tend to have a reaction of, we were just talking about this the other day. Um, most people don't say they're angry. They say they're frustrated or they're irritated or they're impatient. And that's a kind of fire type response, right? And so once you're once you're identifying that, then if you're doing things that are adding more heat to your system, like just the, by the food you eat, by the things you've got in your cup, the things you're drinking, the, the hours that you're trying to do different activities, that's all going to make that problem worse, you know. And then when that gets worse, you kind of more and more identify with it, right? You know, I I am this, like I am irritable like the the there's a line or a phrase in the 12 steps say where we get restless irritable and discontent and those three words actually describe what we call the the three types like the air type does get restless the fire type does get irritable and the water type does get like discontent and melancholic um so we we all have all that within us and so it's that way to navigate our own like feeling of how how we feel in the morning and the afternoon and evening and as we're getting to sleep at night, the science and the aspect of like self-care and self-care is based in so many things, like just uh, knowing there's different times of the day, there's different times to do things. Um, so that's what we cover in between the mat and the meeting. So for me, it was when I say I was doing okay in early recovery, I was doing okay when I was in the meeting and with my therapist and in the yoga class. And then I would say for the other 20 plus hours per day, I wasn't doing so well. And that's when I was facing my um, kind of regrets and guilt and shame and um, my projections. I'd exhaust myself trying to work out the rest of my life. And I'd start to get into that as soon as I felt that I hadn't done very well that day. <laughs> like maybe a bit four in the afternoon, my best intentions hadn't really been lived. And then I'd start to really berate myself and then kind of fall into like, how am I ever going to do blah, blah, blah. And I know generally in recovery, we're told to do it one day at a time. So that would pull me in. But then Ayurveda teaching me that there's actually different parts to the day where if you're going to try and do like the most difficult mental challenging thing, um, like for me, I would say like a tax return or anything to do with government documents, you know, where you need, we kind of need to put your lawyer head on. Um, don't be trying that at three in the afternoon because you don't really have naturally the resources to deal with it. So just knowing that there's different parts of the day, different energies to the day, and you're more supported in doing different things at different times. And, you know, for instance, our baseline is when you sleep you know, when you go to bed, when you wake up and when you eat, establishing those as stable points in your day can really train your system into this kind of routine and regularity. So then you're not um, swimming upstream anymore. Like there's that swimming downstream. So all the different Ayurveda foundational 
practical, simple daily habits that support us as sense-based beings, elemental-based beings, um, relational beings, um, time-based beings, right? Like time really matters. And beings that have a an embodied material life as well as a mental emotional life as well as a, like a spiritual life perhaps and offering tools for all of those aspects of our multi-layered self, right? So for me, having a spiritual program of recovery wasn't helping me decide what to put on my plate or how much to eat and when to eat. Like, And it was not helping me with those um and still the, the habits that I have around sugar and stuff, right? Um, energy, sugar and caffeine, that's like my lifelong loves. They probably were even before I started the whole alcohol, drug, cigarettes, right? Um, so the, the whole aspect of just like being able to live a day and live it well. And here's my thing, right? And this is what really, really empowered me. That's down to me. It's... I have the potential for wellness. Like I can chart my own course. I can navigate my own body-mind system. And I do take professional help, but I don't 100% rely on other people to tell me how I'm feeling or what to do about it. That's that's really what it became for me. Like some kind of sense of self and independence of my own care, knowing like this is the day I just need to rest or this is the part of the day where I'm not going to take that on, right? Um, so that's between the mat and the meeting. Uh, a lot of it has to do with digestion. So, I mean, let me say this because I don't think it's ever mentioned enough. If you can really observe your own appetite, what you choose to eat, how you digest it and how you eliminate it, you can strongly help your health every single day. And I do mean your mental, emotional and spiritual health, not just your physical health. And by this, I don't mean by being on a diet. I mean, like, this is real simple things, but it takes um, heat to transform the food you eat into the tissues that you are, like your skin and your hair. So things like not drinking iced drinks with your meals, uh, preferably not at all. Uh, And that might sound weird, but it's something that can really boost your ability to digest better. And when you digest better, everything's going to work better, like your energy in the system is going to be released better. So that was a big help for me because, you know, I was floored in early recovery and I can still be. And so I really have to use the tools that I learned all the time for myself. The aspect of uh, like one of the ways that I summarize it is that I had and can still have the tiredness that sleep doesn't take away and the hunger that food doesn't remove, like just feeling tired and hungry all the time. Now, other people have different feeling states and it helps us to understand like the root of that. And Ayurveda is going to tell you that the root of that strongly comes from how your actual digestive system is working. So that's something that we can do. And it's not some awful strict diet. It's beginning to know the difference between should I take a warm bowl of soup or a cold salad, stuff stuff like that. Um, so the choices that we're presented with, knowing which one's going to support us for who we are, where we are, what we're doing. So that's between the mat and the meeting, and that's what I'm teaching currently. And these are all taught online now. So our 
our platform teaches pretty much one year of continuous education based around this like health and um, hope and empowerment in our embodied spiritual beings. So the other one, Healing the Habits That Bind, um, that really goes into how you apply the the four paths of yoga into the natural and inherent kind of pitfalls we have around our like desires just as a human. So there's the the aspect of who we are based in our own life and the kind of mistakes that we make and how the different yoga pathways and they all have different perspectives perspectives and practices. So how we apply those to those different layers of our like um like the the problems, the painful habits that we're in, right? And that can be based around um you know the the overall goal of our life, our our feeling of vitality and energy to live our life, the feeling of being able to connect and relate with other people, and, and that's one thing that we often kind of crave and desperately need. But man, it's full of problems, right? It's it's difficult whether it's your family or whether it's the workplace. Um, so like again, yoga helps to answer some of those things about how we connect and be in relationship. And then, Chris, you mentioned this one, life is sweet. We we are sense-based beings. And if you notice that there's, there is quite a lot of addictive issues based around like food. Uh, and most of the people who have eating um, habits that, you know, they know are problematic is a lot of it's based around sugar um, or salt. Like sugar and salt is the the kind of addiction that's been engineered into the processed food chain. And we're facing that every day and you can see the you can see the results of it. So Life is Sweet is really teaching us how to use all five of our senses, senses to flood the sense gates with self-soothing sweetness so that we're not ending up on that train to diabetes. And, and that matters to me because I come from a long line of type 1 diabetics. Um, and so that gives you, and the overuse of sugar tends to give you that like hypoglycemia. And that was one of the things that I was dealing with in early recovery, that that was the tiredness and the hunger that I couldn't resolve because I was trying to resolve it with things like Coca-Cola and coffee and candy bars and cigarettes, right? And that that got me through my early recovery days. But if I had stayed on that track, then, you know, I would be diagnosed with diabetes and nobody really wants that. That's a really tough and limiting and, um, you know, painful disease to be living with. Uh, but a lot of people are living with it. And back when I was studying Ayurveda, uh, one of the guys that was in my class was a pharmaceutical rep. And he said, if you want to make money on the stock market, invest in, what's the word, uh, dialysis companies. Because the way that this, like that our healthcare is going is they're not doing what needs to be done to treat the diabetes um, habits, you know, the lifestyle that's creating diabetes in our communities. So lots of people will end up on dialysis. And now I'm so upset to see the the kidney dialysis machines like pretty much taking over where Barnes and Noble used to be right there in the mall right and 
my neighbor, I live in a mountain town, so my neighbor has to drive an hour and a half each way to go down and sit and do his dialysis twice a week. And there is so much more we could do. Um, and I'm going to say empowered in our own life choices. So that's what Life is Sweet is about, right? It's just, it's so crucial. And what it is, is is something that people really, 10 years later, will still write to me saying, thanks for Life is Sweet, because it gets me through. So if I just say this, Ayurveda works from different therapies. And because we're five sense beings, then we work from sense therapies. So we've got aromatherapy, diet, nutrition therapy, We've got color and light therapy. We've got body treats, body treatments and massage therapy, and then sound therapy. So this is this is happening across many of the the rehabs and stuff, um, almost as individual things. But then again, we're person centered. We're whole medicine, so we could we could help a person with any of that. And one of the things that really helps me is. We don't need a lot of medical tests. When I say we're sense-based, when you're sitting speaking to me and you're my recovery coach, you can observe in me certain ways that I like sit and move my body or the way I speak, uh, the way I respond, you know, is, is it fast? Is it sharp? Like, And you're taking that in and you're knowing me in a certain way. And so knowing you in a certain way, you can start to say, have, have you ever thought to do this or that? And this isn't like pharmaceutical response medical care. This is what put a few um, things in your cup and pour water on it, you know, like just simple things that you could do to take down that like heightening of a, a quality in you that needs not to be aggravated anymore, right? So then um, healing the habits that bind really goes on. We deal with, I'm going to say one of the ways that I'll say it, especially around relationship with ourselves and others and even our spiritual nature, is we're looking and building our strength lineage and our spiritual lineage. And it's funny that we fail to see that there's a spiritual lineage within America of, like, is a very combined aspect of like hundreds of years of people living here on this land and many many people benefit from looking back to their ancestors and picking up some of the traditions and circles and ceremonies and you know re-enlivening them uh, so the whole thing is just this way to look at all the different ways that we participate and it's I'm going to say it's just creative and it's artful, right? It's not this, oh, i got to look after myself. Uh, it's an artful way to be engaged with life and others and like a, a celebration of being alive because lots of us, in some sense, are lucky to be alive. And so that's what we really want to bring forth is not just this total pathology all the time, right? You know, I'm an addict and this is what I have to do. Like really all recovery is going to be about choice in the medium to long term. And you got to choose to live and celebrate life. And I think that's why it's such a strong place to be involved in. Because when you hear, and I've heard some of the podcasts that you've been doing, Shannon, and just like the passion of the people involved in these recovery support services, 
Like it's phenomenal. Uh, and so I don't I feel like I'm in good company and mine is a particular angle on it. And not all the angles suit everybody, but some of the angles will suit most people. Uh, like for me, I wouldn't still be doing yoga if it was just all like a practice on the mat. Like that wouldn't keep me engaged. So like what you were saying about the needs that we have at different stages of our recovery and our life and even different parts of the year, that like variety of participation and and all the different people that do participate, um, that really helps me because like probably at five years into recovery, I didn't need to keep talking about my drug of choice. Like what I needed to do was get into like my distraction of choice. And then also I needed to find much softer ways of being for myself and for others. And uh, we're doing a book discussion in our thing right now. Mark Nepo is one of the books that we're reading and he says, soften what you can't solve. And I'd say that's what yoga recovery is about. Soften what you can't solve. So like, just be more gentle with yourself. Like the self-care, something that really is, it's kind of like a beautiful thing. And once you're being caring towards yourself, it really helps you care for others. And if I say this, what it matters to me is I'm not waiting for the man with the money to come along and help me. The power that I am is the power that's living me. And it doesn't come from the financial pockets of the government organizations. It's me standing on my own two feet, using the 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 reserves of my own life system. And that's how I can be in this field working with people, because I really believe in it for me and I believe in it for you. Like, and I think it is just phenomenal and to the point that if I sat and what did I have for dinner last night? Rice and broccoli. Um, when I eat that rice and broccoli and I show up the next day and I'm turning that into hair and eyes and skin, right? I think I'm pretty miraculous. <laughs> that's a skill. That's a power that no one can give to you, right? So you got to tap into that transformational being that you are and live it in the time that you've got. So that's what yoga recovery is about. <laughs> Thank you, Durga. Well, in that, I just want to reiterate how um, for those that if any part of this resonates with you, it's really, um, it really does happen. And what I loved coming into these two different classes was that um, where it resonated on a personal level was, uh, you share this too, Durga, about your early experiences with Ayurveda was it felt less like learning something new and it felt more like revealing a wisdom and tapping into a wisdom that was always in me, but lots of life stuff just added layers above. So this was like an unlayering into this part of me that always existed and so the work just really resonated. Um, doesn't mean it's easy, but it is simple, right? And yeah. so, mm -hmm. um, and then the other half of that where, where it really resonated with me in the sense of with the peer workforce is, and you've mentioned this a couple of times, 
but I want to make sure our listeners hear it is how person centered this is. And so, you know, that word gets thrown around in the the field of addictions and recovery a lot is person centered, person centered. Um, but this practice, like what what you share with folks, is probably one of the most authentic person centered approaches I've experienced because we do dive into constitutions and your doshas and other things that I won't go too deep into here because that's what the classes are for. Um, but it does give to me, it, um, it would give our peer recovery workforce um, and those people who want to try out some of this when they're working with others um, it really gives you tools to empower a person to kind of thrive in their own life. Again, that we're not, um, it's not a pill. It's not a, um, an, an acute process. It's a long-term process of really simple things you can add into your daily life that help you stay connected to that inner wisdom in yourself. Um, despite kind of this chaotic, really busy world we live in. And also you shared a really another story a while back, Durga, that resonated with me was um, I think you were speaking with a young woman who is kind of feeling uh, ramped up, chaotic, and you told her to like go to the water's edge and really, truly like plant her feet in the water. Do you, could you share that story yeah. with us? Yeah. Um, isn't it funny? That's something that I really remember because it was was actually someone not in the yoga recovery, but in my uh, original um, recovery group, a 12-step meeting. And they had they had my number from years ago and they called me in a like high state of stress and they had relapsed and like the whole world was crumbling around them. And, you know, this woman had a lot of stuff going on. And I think this is what it feels like. I'm a recovery coach too. And when you meet someone in their like the flux and chaos of their story. It's like, oh my God, where do you start? And if you kind of jump into that, it's like you're in the raging waters as well. So like the the self-care needs to help us be stable in our own self so that we can help someone else. Um, and I could tell, and this is a phone call, I could tell just that she couldn't like hold it together uh and so I know I know that she lived near a lake and I asked her if she was nearby that and she said yeah and I said can you just walk down towards it and take your shoes and socks off and just put your feet in that water and and the water is cold and it kind of brought her all that stuff that was circling and like you know hurricane in her head with all the thoughts and anxiety and the really just the cold water on her feet landed her here and now and and then we, you know, she was still like upset and all that. But we talked about one or two things that she could do right there and then once she got her feet back out that water. And then she worked in a supermarket and I went into that, I'm going to say maybe two or three, three years later, and she saw me. And the first thing she said is, go put your feet in the lake. That was just what she said to me. And it was so, it was amazing how like, like you can't think your way out of that the way that the mind's operating in this moment. You need something else to intervene. And really, the things in nature that can intervene to change things, you know, they say um, 
change a thought, move, move a muscle. But we also would use these just different parts of the sense-based body, like the sense organs. What are you looking at? What are you listening to? Like, what are you taking in? What are you speaking? What are you doing with your feet? What are you doing with your hands? Like, really, the things that we are, the person that we are, that's the tools that's in our medicine system. We actually say that is the um, channels of the mind. So if you want to change the mind, you change what you're doing with your hands and your feet. So one of the books that I've read, and I think it's something that, um, like, I, I don't know if a lot of people know about it, but Emotional Intelligence and I think it's so funny that in that book, and it's a lot of research, and he's a brilliant man, Daniel Goleman, uh, he uh, he talks about anger and that anger response. And what they recommend for anger is you take a walk, like you just walk. And in our system of medicine, feet are the organ of action to do with the fire element. And the fire element is the one that creates a response of heat, which is really anger, right? So there's so much to this. Like we could say we have color therapy. Do you understand color? Well, color is mood, right? Food is mood. All of those things. Like So all the things that we're doing with our senses are creating and sustaining the mood. And unfortunately, our culture has got into a very conditioned response, which I'm going to say is just to be in complete thrall and serfdom to the corporates and what they're pushing. Right. So you don't create one percent of the population having ninety-nine percent of the wealth without some great imbalance. So I think you don't I don't think you create balance by obeying the one percent that's telling the ninety-nine percent what to do. <laughs> so that's why I'm person-centered. It's like to be person-centered, it is to be power-centered. The power is it is within us. And yeah, they they better watch out because when we start be, to become, you know, like empowered for the people that we are on the planet that we're living in, we may just revolutionize our own care, our own participation in community, how we show up for each other. Because who needs another expert telling us what to do? <laughs> like we've had that for decades and we haven't got that far with it. So our people have lived in this country, they've lived on this planet, they've taken what is around them and they've come through it, right, with strength and resilience. So one of the things that I would say is the power that is within us is the heart, right? And we can, I'll, I'll say this, we bang on about addiction being a brain disease and that's good because that's what you can take pictures of. And of course, the brain is part of this. But really, when you think of the work we are doing in our communities and has always been done, even with this imbalance at power and finance and economic levels, it's heart-centered work. And that doesn't mean all lovey-dovey. That just really means this bond between us because me living well is not for me alone. It's for, like, I wouldn't do this if it was just for me. I, I do it because I lost people that are close to me and I don't want to lose other people and I want to share it out with others. And I think there's nothing stronger than that, that when you witness what the peer recovery support services are doing, you know, and before that, what the, the miracle of the 12-step program and other reco recovery pathways are doing, like us showing up 
in our heart-centered power doing the work that needs to be done, um, just as people with experience and people with, like, you know, care and share and bonding with others, because we know that's what our life is about, right? So I'm really into that. And I live it, I see it every day, and it's really, it's what I feed on, just this level of passion uh, and care. Thank you. That's perfect. Um, I want to um, wrap up today's session and have you first tell our listeners um, where they can access these courses to learn more about them or even register themselves. Mm-hmm. And then any hints on um, if there's, I know you have a book out and you always mention David Frawley, um, any other resources that you might guide people to if they're kind of just starting to dip their toes into what is this Ayurvedic medicine she speaks of? Um, why don't you leave us with those couple um, tidbits of information? Yeah. Uh, Ayurveda is vast. So I'm, I am going to say that I did write a book. It took me 21 years to do it. But the good thing is, is the people that I've been working with are part of that book and it is still a work in progress because it's a life science. So the book is called Yoga of Recovery. It's by me, Durga Leela, and you can get it online. If you go to my website, yogaofrecovery.com, then one of the things we have created is a free to register second Saturday class. So you can join us in a class and the class might be part of one of the courses that we're running. So they will be in there with the course participants. But every second Saturday, we widen the circle so people can come in and see, okay, what is this? What does it actually look and feel like? So the yogaofrecovery.com on the calendar, you'll see where to register for that class second Saturday. And it's 8 to 10 in the morning Pacific time. So wherever you are. Um, it would be great if you could join. If Even if you can't join for all of it, pop in and see us. Um, I think the Yoga of Recovery book is, when I was uh, sitting with a group of people with the Ayurveda doctor that we work with, one of them asked, and he's running a centre, the Sattva Yoga Centre over in Virginia, and working with vets and people in recovery there. And he said, what's the book that we can get that tells us about Ayurveda for people like us in recovery and dealing with like um, family members in recovery and, you know, all the things that we are dealing with, vets and PTSD and stuff. And um, no one had an answer, right? No one had the one book that people could go to. So in the Yoga of Recovery book I wrote, I tried to make the Ayurveda as accessible and conversational and relatable as possible because it's a full medical system, right? So it can get kind of deep and sometimes pedantic, which is not what we need is like step in and like, how how does this find me? So, and how do I find it, right? So the one of the things that I would say is not even so much a book, but there there's a company that I've been working with for years and they're called Banyan Botanicals. And when you go on there, they have it like drop down menus. What is Ayurveda? You know, do the constitutional quit and um, questionnaire. What's your imbalance? Now, when you go on there, 
you know, don't get lost in just buying lots of products. That's not what it's about. Like, you know, do things like maybe buy some oil and start massaging it onto your hands and feet before you sleep at night. Fine, fair enough. But don't start getting into all sorts of herbal things because there's drug herb reactions. Uh, and that's a conditioning that we have, right? Even in the holistic field, we can we can become allopathic and somebody says, oh, I've got this skin thing what do I take for it, right? And that's like, our thing is not that you need to take something. Often it's like you need to maybe stop doing something or do something at a different time. So Banyan Botanicals is a place that I think you can sort of learn quite a bit about the constitution and the different um, energies of the elements that we are, like in our embodied, like mind, body, self. So I think that's what I'd give people. I think also because a lot of people just have the phone right in their hand uh, and there's good articles on there, like what's digestion. Uh, we have this very baseline food that's called kidgeri. It's a rice and beans type of dish. And it sounds kind of strange, but I swear that's one of the things that really supports my life. Like if I'm stressed or fed up or I just don't know what I'm supposed to be doing next like I can go and make this baseline meal and it's very filling and satisfying but it's easy to digest and it's just kind of grounding and then I'm like okay so at least I'm not hungry right I might still be angry lonely and tired <laughs> like there's too much choice right like we talk about compassion fatigue, and I know when I talk to you guys, we were calling it empathetic distress. I get distressed going into the supermarket trying to decide where I'm going to spend my money, and the food is going up and up and up. And I come from Scotland, so we're frugal. I hate to waste. And so this is a dish that you can just have in your cupboard. You can cook anytime. And it's like having real basic foundational things that you turn to. And turn away from all the things that you're being told to do because we're really in the pockets of those corporates and like it, our, our health and wellness, our joy, our passion doesn't need to be sold to us. We are that thing we're looking for and we just need to kind of like simplify it down and just be practical and be in, be in touch with each other like that connection piece. Because sometimes when you're not feeling it, someone else is feeling it, and that's how you tap into it again, right? So the book Beautiful. and the website and then Banyan, banyanbotanicals.com. Uh, and then we'd love to see you. If you come on to Second Saturday, let us know that you're coming from this um, peer recovery support podcast. Thank you, Shannon. Thanks nice. for this. Yeah, thank you, Durga. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll be connecting again to do further conversations to explore these topics a little more deeply. But um, for the meantime, I think this was a great way to introduce our audience to yoga of recovery and what it is you do and explain it's more than some postures you hold on a mat. It's much broader than that. Yeah. <laughs> and I can and I ask you a question? Like anyone yeah. that's listening to this, my email is Durga, D-U-R-G-A for Apple, at yogaofrecovery.com. And, you know, be in touch with us because I know people are out there and I've heard the peer recovery stories. You know, sometimes it feels like there's so much to do. So what can we do for you? 
Like, what is the thing that you want from us? Where do you want it? What form do you want it in? Because if you want it and if you're going to show up for it, we'll do it. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you again. And thank you, Shannon, for uh, hosting us today. Absolutely. Thank Thank you both. Thank you for connecting with us, listeners. Our goal in sharing stories and information is to provide hope and resources to the field of peer recovery. Please join us again next month on Recovery Talk. You can find our episodes on our website, peerrecoverynow.org. That's peerrecoverynow.org, or wherever you find your podcasts. The Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to enhance peer recovery support services by expanding access to training and technical assistance services across the country. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policies of the Department of Health and Human Services, nor does mention of trade names, commercial practices, or organizations imply endorsement by the U.S. government. Talk with you next time.